0: Hello, everyone. This is Deeg. I'm your host, Basement Side Chats. I'm here with co-hosts Matt Devincenzi, aka Matt Dev, and Taylor Houseworth. Say hello, gents.
1: Well, hello. Hello. Nice to see you just now and not a moment before this.
0: Yeah, it's funny catching you here on the internet. Yes. So what are we here to talk about today, Matt?
2: Well, let's talk about money.
0: Yeah, baby. This is
2: just like Jim Cramer, right? What stocks you should invest in, to make the most money
0: we need a soundboard just like his <laughs>
2: <laughs> buy now <laughs> buy the dip guys it's gonna be great
0: i got the hairline we can make this happen
2: the real uh, time it's about money <laughs> yeah. and specifically the money in video games.
1: i feel exactly. like a jim kramer version of like skins are going hot you gotta buy 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 the skins and then you hear like the sound of skin
2: ripping off or something i don't know what the sound effect for that would be you know it's funny fun This is, I mean, this is sort of a tie in actually to what we're about to talk about. But my, uh, the company I used to work for, which shall remain nameless at the moment, the CEO of our company has uh, appeared on Jim Cramer numerous times. And we always like would joke around about it because there would be this like huge, like, kind of uptick in the stock price whenever he was, like, right after he was on Jim Cramer, and then it would just shit the bed right afterwards, and so (laughs) it was like we called it the Jim Cramer curse because it was, like, super sick, and it always happened during, like, our selling window, like, restrictions, so we couldn't actually sell that, like, peak, but it was fucking frustrating every time.
1: So for all two of the viewers, you just heard Matt establish his street cred because he worked at a place where a person went on television, and it affected their stock price. So, I mean, I've worked at many places
2: that have done that technically, but oh, all right, fancy <laughs> pants.
0: That's the guy in the stonks meme.
2: It's true. <laughs> it's actually funny. I uh, again, we're totally going off topic, but I want, I need to start an LLC for investment purposes soon, and I'm thinking about I can name it whatever I want, and I'm thinking about actually calling it Stonks and Stonks LLC just <laughs> because it would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> Do it, because why not? But yeah, so money specifically making money in video games, right? And and monetization of them,
0: right? So for those who kind of don't haven't figured it out yet, Matt, you uh, your experience has got to do with if. It, tell me if I'm getting this right. Has got to do with um, helping software companies make money off of what they're building, right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. So basically, I've done it two companies specifically um when i moved into it because i was doing a different career beforehand but uh the first one it was a large fortune 100 company um where i was specifically figuring out how to monetize our mobile applications um and then the second one was actually uh, a, and that was a b2c company uh, sorry business to consumer for those who don't know the acronym and then the second one was uh, B2B or business to business company where we were figuring out ways to monetize various features and they're, they're sort of two different beasts. Um, but the, the first actually is really, really similar to how the games get monetized in general, because it's the same thing. You want to basically get people to use your product and then figure out how to make money off of them. Essentially. Um, second, not as common, but uh, or it's not as similar. Sorry. But the first is, is, tied in explicitly almost to the point actually where we had hired tons of people from video game companies, uh, such as like Zynga and Activision and all over the place because it was so similar to what we were doing at that company.
0: So how do you make money off the software?
2: (laughs) It's a loaded question. Um, so this is actually a funny thing. And I I think this is actually a really important point to make because this is one of those parallels between, uh the gaming side of things and and non-gaming uh b2c so basically like there has been this sort of like fallacy for a really long time that ultimately users are worth money right um if you look at like facebook for example for a long time before they they really jumped up their um ad services, they were always reporting like their MAUs, which stands for monthly active users. And that was like effectively the the currency to investors saying, oh, we got like 50,000 MAUs or 100,000 MAUs. Even if you guys watch the show Silicon Valley, they talked about like how they need to get their MAUs to a certain point to, to appease the VCs. Right. Um, and so th- that was like sort of the the early stage of, of this stuff. Um, fast forward a bit, uh, you basically, people were like, Kind of had a a bit of a, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a wake up call, like the investors specifically. And they were just like, wait a second, you're just adding users, but that shit doesn't actually make any money. So how do you actually take those people and convert them over to, um, it, to tie that to actually like a, ultimately a monetization metric, right? Um, and that's sort of the the recent shift that has happened really over the last like six years, I would say. Um, Zynga was actually one of the first companies to really do this really well. Um, you know, they, they uh, implored, or, yeah, sorry, Im, implemented, that's the word I'm looking for, implemented a bunch of different growth tactics, like getting people hooked and like kind of priming people to actually buy a transaction. So if you're playing um, Words with Friends, for example, you can like buy coins right at the point when you're losing, um, and this is a very extreme form of that stuff. But but that they're sort of like the the kind of trailblazers of this in a way where um, they sort of like kind of brought forth like a lot of what microtransactions are in gaming today, right? That that was a lot of that is due to what Zynga has done. So
0: yeah, they were the trailblazers, right? They, they were the first. They, they to make Clash of Clans, or is that someone else?
2: I believe they do Clash of Clans. They do Words with Friends, Candy Crush. Um, I think they do Clash of Clans.
0: Yeah. Anyways, and they do a the, ton of them. Right. And one of the things that, that I think all those games have, and many other games that I that we both play, too, is this weird um, premium currency phenomenon where they distance you from your wallet by making you pay for currency and then you use that currency in the game. Is that something that you've worked on too? Can you tell me more about why people do that?
2: So we had a different oh man, it's going to be really hard to explain this one without like saying very uh <laughs> things I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> a big um, red so, button. Turn it on. Uh, we had a let me see if I can speak about this as as sort of in the uh, abstract as possible, without giving too much away. So, um, the way that we had built our strategy was that um, currency effectively in there was uh, symbiotic with how much you spent uh, on, in general, with with the company I was at. So, sorry, this is not this is not talking about my most recent company. This is the previous B 2 C company that I worked for. Um, and so, a lot of those things were very like kind of combined. So, the more like activity that you did within the app the more, like, sort of, quote, deals that you would potentially get, um, and thus you would then spend more money. So those two things kind of, like, tied that way. There are a lot of, like, very, like, what's, like, certain, like, legal gray areas here that you have to be really careful with because you can't really give people um, an incentive, like, specific people an incentive that not everybody else has the opportunity to do. So you see this a lot, actually, with with games, specifically with pay-to-win, right? You can't actually give people uh the chance to pay to win for something if those people if it's a free game and that those people can't still earn that without having to pay for that does that make sense so like you can let's say for example like you have no money greg and i have like fucking shitloads of money and i get into um gta (laughs) 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 no like i get into gta right and so you know how gta sells those shark cards and you basically can like buy those to like create more in-game currency. The thing is, is in GTA you can still get in-game currency without actually paying for those things. And and like legally they have to do it that way. Like they can there's actually laws against people being able to like get things because they spent more money on it versus while hindering the experience for everyone else.
0: And is that that thing is that a competitive advantage or is that anything
2: it's it's any sort of advantage anything else it can be um exclusive access to a product right um or uh yeah pretty much anything so so the the problem that this creates though is that you get some of the the really like bad like grindy type games where this really backlashes to the extreme. So EA is, is, you know, the classic example of this, where you have um, Battlefront 2, right? Where I think someone did this calculation online where it was like, you would have to grind for like 48 straight days to get the proper loot box to like, in order to actually like unlock like uh, Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker or whatever it was or they could just pay an extra 20 bucks, right? And so that's the extreme version. So that's technically legal, it's also just fucked up too. That's, when I, that's my first
1: experience with this, um, I guess, monetization within games, is I got an iPad 2 in 2011. And so I started exploring all the games that were out there and I came across Jetpack Joyride and it was free. I'm like, oh, great. So I download it and I start playing it and it's fun, but it's simple. Which is fine because it's an iPad game. Have you guys played that game before? No, I haven't. Nope. It's, um, what's the genre? It's like an endless side scroller where things are coming at you and you have to dodge them, basically, is the way that it works. But so you have a jetpack attached to you and you can go up and down. But
0: like our type,
1: you can get, yeah, you can get better weapons and stuff. But in order to get them, you have to earn like, um, I can't remember an exact number, but a lot of coins, more coins than you're going to get in 50 runs through the game. So the game's free, but you can't really have the most fun intended with the game without shelling out way more than you would just pay for an actual game. And that's when I started looking at all these games made for mobile. And I was this, this is all crap. How is this successful?
2: Right right. and And this is like one of the problems that I, honestly that I have with monetization in general, and the industry as a whole is that a lot of companies are are trying to basically take this um, this method and go from, okay, we just acquired the user. Let's start making money off them as fast as possible. Right. That that's a really common problem and extremely short-sighted in my opinion. Um, and so what ends up happening is that you basically got a person in and they just like spam the fuck out of you and just like, Hey, like buy this thing so you can continue playing this game or what have you. It's in, they do it in sort of manipulative sort of ways. And then based on whatever math equation that they ran they know that you know 1% of those people are actually going to transact and thus they're going to be able to like make money off those people the problem is is that with that model you're going to get a much shorter like average lifespan of that user because of the fact that like the ramp up is almost instantaneous right so the, the model that personally i prefer and it's a lot harder to do but and and it requires a bit more patience but if you can actually like organize your you know, teams or whatever the the company is, or investors, whoever the fuck's in charge. If you can organize them around this idea, it actually works better, where basically the model is that like, we've, I'm not going to go into the math too much, but we ran these models where it showed that the people that are highly active with us in our applications tend to spend more money with us as a company, right? And it was something like, I think they were like 40 times more likely to buy one of our products than if they were actually like active within the application, which was, which was huge, right? And so rather than saying, okay, this person got in, let's make money off them as fast as possible. How do we actually really optimize up in the funnel? A bit further, where making the people who are brand new onboarding their experience so that they're having a positive interaction up front, and actually getting them to become much more active within that particular application. As soon as they reach that active level, then you start to do other signals and move them down that funnel to get them to the buying portion, right? Um, and then there's you know there's all these other parts of that funnel because the p- funnel isn't really a funnel; it's more of like a or like a clock, or that's that's also a bad analogy. But it's like if people lapse from activity, how do you actually get them back? Duolingo does a really good job of that, where they have those like reminders that they can send you. Um, my and Fitness Pal just yeah, my fitness, you to hell exactly. My Fitness Pal does it. Um, a lot of the like actually like the physically active apps, they tend to do a good job about that too. So it, it's sort of like that's like the long play, and often those companies seem to have, be a bit more successful in this, right? Um, They were they were an interesting and you see this actually with some of the modern online games with seasons specifically and how you can get certain like cosmetic things based on the seasons that you play because those people are are more likely to spend money. So well, a
1: lot of what you were just talking about um, wasn't there. It's probably still a big debate, but I think stuff like iOS is taking care of it. Wasn't it kind of initially made specifically to target children because this i mean they don't know the value of money yet they just see that you need 500 coins to get this item what does that mean to them buy and then you hear stories about the people who's get $1000 bills for some game their kid played
2: i don't think so because the the thing is, is that like technically speaking they have to be i think what 13 years of age to be able to interact with any of the online elements of it because of copa right copa is the law i think it's copa
1: Is that that always in effect, or is that a result of that?
2: It's been in effect since Bill Clinton, so the 90s. Yeah, so basically, like, they so COPA is this law that says that, like, if you are using something on the Internet, you actually have to be at least 13 years of age um, so that people don't take advantage of children. And so the, you know, this is one of those things where it's a little bit weird because, like, A lot of parents will still give their children devices at a younger age. And because the parent has given explicit consent to do that, it's actually not breaking COPA, right?
0: Oh, interesting.
1: That's what I'm worried about in the future is my son becoming one of these targets who has this little iPhone game. And then it says, oh, you can win if you spend $300 on the magic fairy gun. Right. And then he's just like, oh, that's meaningless to me. Buy three. Parental controls,
2: baby. Yeah, there's a whole
0: whole separate discussion to be had about monetization where kids are involved versus where monetization where adults are involved. It's almost like a conversation about gambling and what kind of virtues we as a society care to regulate.
2: Right. Yeah, child-based monetization is a different, it's a completely different beast too. I honestly am not super qualified to talk about that one because it's just a different, I, I don't have a lot of experience in it personally, but like because you're you're almost transacting the, the person who holds the transaction power is not the person that you're interacting with and so right. that becomes a much more complicated just thing to do right um you often some i've seen this sometimes with um what games did it uh, was it gta that did this where like if you buy like a certain amount of like credits you could use those credits to spend at a higher value like that's like one way to do it where it's it's almost like a gift card model so it's like your you know mom is like okay you get 50 bucks for this right and they can spend those 50 bucks however they wish and so like that that has been one tactic that i've seen it maybe it wasn't gt i can't remember what game it was but um where it's like they're they're then convincing the kid that it's like a better deal and thus the parent will then see it as a way to like limit the kid without them going completely hog wild.
0: Right, right. It contains them, but it still gives them what they want and it gives Correct. The, the game what it needs, which is that sweet microtransaction or macro transaction, 50 bucks. It's not small.
2: <laughs> Correct. And honestly, like the people that are, that are really like the target of a lot of the monetization of video games are not the kids, right? It's the people that are in their like, you know, late teens, early twenties, and even actually, I would say late twenties too, the people that actually do have their own buying power and thus like what, have that, have that control. Those are the people that often be the targets for these. So.
0: Yeah. I've heard it suggested, and I don't know if this is true. You can tell me what you think of this, that the, like a staggering percentage of all money on microtransactions comes from like the top 0.1% of users, whales essentially. Yep. And, Everyone else is just there to give the whales someone to play with,
2: right? And that and that goes back to that point that I made before. That that number changes. What the actual um, it t- it changes based on the um, what what the actual game is, right? right? There's there's very or application whatever it may be. Um, but but that's that goes back to the point that I was making earlier about like eventually those people that are transacting they they will get there. But if you invest in the people that are becoming active. Those people will often transact because they're highly active. And so it, it's those are often seen as that top tier like holy grail of the part of the users themselves. So how do you actually get people up to that path as much as possible?
0: Right. And that lines up with the way that I tend to engage with microtransactions. Like if I'm already committed to a game, even if I've already paid a box price for it, i'm playing it every single day i'm making friends in it i'm spending time there then i'm like yeah i want to put some money into this experience because it gives me something that i want which is improves my experience and it's it's fun for me like um i just picked up a game um i just picked up planetside which is a game i jump into pretty much pretty faithfully once a year for a few months and every time i do i buy their subscription and I usually buy one or two of their anniversary bundles, which are like thirty to fifty bucks each, to give me a bunch of shit on discount. And I have a great time and then it's gone. But yeah. That's the way I like to play those games.
2: Yeah. No, and that's and that's how a lot of people are, right? Like they're theirs they use it as a win back strategy. They use it as a, a people that are, are are somewhat casual, right? And it keeps them enticed. Um, you look at, like, you know, Quake Champions, and this is, this is one example, but other games have done this too, where you have, like, login bonuses, right? So to get you back every day, uh, Monster Hunter did that as well. And so, although I don't think Monster Hunter actually has any in-game monetization except for the DLC, which is one model of it. They don't have microtransactions, I should say. They have other forms of monetization, but not microtransactions. See, the, I think...
1: You guys know me. I'm a, I am don't like microtransactions or in-game monetization at all. But uh, the most useful way I've looked at it recently, I guess. So the best example I can think of is the Resident Evil 2 remake, which I. it's rare for me to pay full price for a game. There will be Doom Eternal this year, and I don't know what else I'll pay full price for. Oh, Resident Evil 3 remake. But Resident Evil 2 remake was an instant buy for me because that demo was amazing and I loved the game. And I wanted to play it real bad. Um, I don't think they released any DLC, but what they did, beyond like clothing and stuff like that, but after a while, excuse me, they did release a thing where uh, all the items were possible to unlock through playing the game, but they came out with a $5 DLC that just gives you all these unlockables. And with a wife and a kid, I was never going to find the time to perform the requirements to get what I needed to get these items. Cause it meant like you have to learn the game really well. You have to beat the whole game on the hardest difficulty in an hour and a half. And that means you're going to fuck up a few times. But So I just bought that and had everything that I wanted and just did a fun run through of the game where I have unlimited ammo and stuff. And I felt like paying five bucks for that was fine.
2: Right. So this actually brings up a really interesting point. Um, and I'm glad you brought up Resident Evil specifically. So one of the things that, that why I think microtransactions are so prevalent, um, are we pausing?
0: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm about, about to go off on a tangent, so let's Audio like, stuff. Yeah, pause. Like, write it down. Let's take a minute. I'm going to fix this audio issue, and we'll come right back. OK. Be right back, everyone. OK. Hey, everyone listening. This is Greg. We're doing some audio testing. We know some of y'all are listening to us live. Can you send us a quick acknowledgment in chat, if you can hear clicking from my microphone? Settle a bit for me.
2: Or any issues, period. Yeah. But specifically that clicking. That's the one that I think is most prevalent.
0: We're going to have a little bit of a delay here, so wait for the answers oh to trickle in.
2: This is exciting to wait. It is. I didn't hear any
0: sound issues
1: on my end, but I am not on headphones. Hmm. Who
2: said that? Lib fuzzy fuzzy, llama.
0: Yeah. Caramilk, you are hearing clicking distortions. This is riveting content right here, guys.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. If we had a webcam, I'd be stripping at this point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's how we would attract all the viewers. Come check out Matt's penis. It's very stubby. <laughs> That's what you should name it. Do you tell your wife, do you want to see
2: the stub? <laughs> Welcome to StubHub, the new podcast for my stub. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you expected to okay. chat about game monetization, and instead you get to learn about Matt's
2: stubby dick. My wang. Wang gang. All right.
0: Um, one more second we'll be right back after the live fuzzy llama we're seeing new servers popping up in europe and latin america you guys should check it out new tfc servers wow that's wild the
1: the problem is we are now very bad at the game and everyone else who still plays is very good
2: not to plug the last episode of the podcast but if you listen to that it's a very game now it is or i guess yeah. that wasn't the last one that was two episodes ago
0: talking about the one what? where i interviewed uh lat yeah yeah that was two weeks ago yeah he's part of that in-house scene that uh tries real hard still team fortress classic <laughs> anyway. for those for those who have no idea what we're talking about team fortress classic is a video game that the three of us all played 15 years ago and still talk about like old geezers
2: it's like our uh, high school football career that is exactly
1: what it is like
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
1: We're the we fucking are... Al, Bundys <laughs> yeah. the right. Al Bundys of the internet.
0: Al Bundys games. <laughs> I remember that championship game.
1: Yeah. I need a anyway. toilet flushing sound effect.
0: Matt, did you write down that thought you were having that I told you to write down? I did. Okay, see if we can get okay. back into it.
2: So, Resident Evil. So, I'm glad you brought that up. Interesting. So, if you think about, like, game production, right and 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 how what are the what are the costs required to actually make a i'm cutting out god damn it what are the costs (laughs) actually required to i was backed up i was getting into it and like talking with my hands um but uh if if you think about the costs required to actually make a game right there's really like kind of four things that that you really have to worry about when whenever you produce a game right the first thing you have to worry about is the story so the actual like story for that Game in general. Um, the second thing you worry about, worry about is the production, and production is like really kind of all-encompassing. Like it includes the development, it includes the modeling, it includes like all of the things that make it come to life. The third thing, and I'm really listening, is out of order, is the gameplay mechanics, right? Um, yeah, I would hope that's number one. Yeah, it really should be. I mean, then this is an interesting thing because this is a point I'll make later on, but like how these things get prioritized often tend to 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 kind of influence your different monetization tactics right so gameplay obviously and the mechanics being third one right um, and then the fourth being distribution so those are those are sort of the four like main costs that you have now if you're trying to make money off of a game because it's you know nothing in life is free so it actually takes money to to produce it and then you want to like make a profit off of that you need to figure out how you best optimize for those based on the amount that you're actually going to earn in that game resident evil and, and i would say this actually applies to a lot of the sort of the different remakes that are coming out today black mesa um Link's awakening all of these remakes that have come out the thing about them that they don't have to worry about anymore is story, right? So that's a cost that they have completely eliminated from the actual like making of this game. They do have to worry about production in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you get into like different like engines to use and things like that. But that's like that's sort of a, a tangential, but it's related to this. Um, they do still have to worry about the distribution, and then gameplay is interesting because they don't have to worry about that one as much, with the exception of the fact that they have to tweak the original gameplay to sort of modernize it in a way. Um, And so why I think Resident Evil and Link's Awakening can have those successes or Black Mesa in that matter is that again, they've cut like a lot of their costs costs of story development and gameplay in those remakes, right? So they really only have to worry about the distribution and the production side of things. So this kind of brings it all to a bigger point that like the thing about producing games nowadays is that they're way more fucking expensive, right? Than what they used to be in the past, and that's sort of why like microtransactions kind of came to be in in um, it came into effect, right? They're much more expensive. So I have some notes that I took on this that actually have like numbers. So, I and these are very extreme examples. So if you look at the game GoldenEye, right? GoldenEye was like one of the most successful games of our childhood, right? In the '90s, came out in 1997. Um, do you know what GoldenEye costs to produce? Let's see, forty million dollars. Uh, No, that can't be right. I would guess, oh, back then, two million at most. So yeah, actually, it's exactly two million dollars. But with inflation, it's three point one in nowadays, right? So it costs about two million dollars to produce. It sold eight million copies of the game. So the the actual cost of the games back then they were like forty nine bucks. And in in sort of in cover switch for inflation, I'm just going to use the inflation numbers now instead of the old numbers. But um. For inflation, that's seventy-eight bucks a game, right? So they effectively made seventy-eight. I'm eliminating the distribution costs here, but they effectively made six hundred twenty-four million dollars um, in today's normalized value. Of a three million dollar um, investment,
0: a, that's pretty. For a three million dollar investment,
2: right? <laughs> so, which is crazy. Now, again, three million dollars is like crazy, also to think about in itself. So that was wildly successful in a way. Um, what's interesting about this too, and this this sort of like. I'm gonna go off on a little side tangent here for a second before I make my next point. But the the problem is, is that the cost of games actually haven't really increased in like 30 years, which is really what blows my mind, right? So when the N64 first came out, that was $75 per game. Each cartridge was $75 in that time, right? In today's dollars, that's like a hundred bucks. Okay. A lot of people bitched about them being 75, so they reduced them to 49, and that's 78 dollars today the fact that games cost more back in the day than they do today, while the, the actual cost to produce games are increasing, really makes it ripe for things like microtransactions, transactions, unfortunately. Um, and then you have to couple that with the cost the cost of producing the games, right? So again, remember the numbers, 3 million to produce GoldenEye, 624 million generated off the game. So let's look at Grand Theft Auto Five, right? A game, Taylor, you and I have played this before. I don't know if Greg's played it, but... Um, the cost reduced GTA was anybody want to take a guess?
0: Sixty
2: uh, million. Two hundred? Two hundred and sixty-five million. Ooh, I'm so off. a lot of money. I don't know what I need to look up Red Dead 2. I'm sure Red Dead 2 is like a ton as well. But anyway, GTA is the one I have data on. Um sadly I can't get a lot of data on, which is a separate point, anyways. So cost six uh, $265 million to produce. It sold 110 million copies overall. And if you, you know, multiply that by roughly $60, yes, there's sales and distribution costs and shit like that, but for the purpose of conversation that generates about $6.6 billion. Okay. So what's interesting about that, like ratio that I'm doing my math correctly, 265 million to 6.6 billion is about the same ratio as 2 million to 624 million. So that return on investment is actually pretty close, right? Um, which is, I find interesting now. The thing is, is that's that's only on the box price for GTA, right? Exactly. That's only on the box price specifically. So let's add in microtransactions. So GTA is an interesting thing because I I think it actually kind of parallels some of the two dynamics that exist for how we monetize games, right? So you have a single player game, right? Which has one way of monetizing it, right? Um, And there's different ways to do that. You either kind of optimize those four things that I mentioned earlier, or you do things like DLC or, or what have you. And then you have online, which is a very different way to monitor. So GTA, obviously, GTA Online became wildly successful, and they've made about half a billion dollars in microtransactions alone. So they made $6.6 billion off of the original game, and then half a billion off of just microtransactions for the online side of things. It's what, What's interesting about that is that like they have continued to actually refresh GTA Online because of that and so it's actually like funded the creation of new content for that online game essentially and and you see this a lot actually with some of the older um uh like MMOs specifically so mmos used you know in the early 2000s were in late 90s like everquest 2 and like wow were some of the most expensive games produced i don't have the exact number on them but they were like horribly expensive to make because they were just like you know they 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 were you know interacting with people for hours they had to have this crazy like server capacity to keep everything online. the worlds were super complex like it was it was crazy this was all before like the cloud even existed as a concept right and the way that they solved that was they charged people ten dollars a month to play the game um and so microtransactions are kind of just in in my opinion the modern version of that subscription model that MMOs had created, because the idea behind it is, is at least for the games where they continue to be successful. And I'm not talking about like the pay to win style, but the um, like the EA style version of that. Uh, but those are like a really good way to keep the content fresh and keep people coming back. So it becomes almost a recurring income that exists. So, yeah. So the, <clears throat> the,
1: why is it, that well, i guess it's a much smaller game so when half-life came out they had what was it called the one network
2: world opponent network one and, yeah yeah Is that you what didn't one
0: stands for i think it was like know.
2: world online network it was world network, opponent like network yeah pretty sure but
1: so <clears throat> the user didn't there was no monthly fee for that but that's what kept all the online play going ah, for a period. but
2: of you time. make a very good point who hosted the servers for half-life Individual we users. Did. Exactly. And so they didn't have to worry about that. Well, so what did the World Opponent Network do, though? Would be the, no World Oppo- the, the World Opponent Network really was just a system, like a centralized database for finding uh, the servers and sort of like logging service. It's kind of like if you look at Google Search, right? So, Google Search, you like index things with Google so that the robots could effectively crawl your site and gather information. That effectively was what WAN did. And then it assigned a unique value to each individual user. OK, well, so it's a login server,
0: basically. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that.
2: Right.
1: So a person like me, though, who feels like because this is mainly why I look at my years of TFC where I paid $50 once and then I got, let's just say, at least 4000 hours out of that game. When something like World of Warcraft comes along and they expect me to shell out 15 bucks a month for this one game it's never going to happen with me
2: the the big difference though is that the reason why i think you got so much out of half-life was not because you had shell out money but because there were people actually willing to shell out money to keep the community alive so like the the servers were funded by people like i mean when when you know when you had a clan server like greg i'm sure you paid for mhs right
0: i paid for some stuff yep yeah so like Website, so that's the thing it's like server. someone
2: Pay All kinds this. of costs.
0: I mean, it wasn't a lot. Honestly, it was more time and effort to right. run the clan than it was money so, to uh, keep up the services. So
1: basically, I was just a fucking freeloader. Yep. Yeah.
2: And you yeah, had nothing okay. to give back, you fucking freeloader. <laughs> <laughs> I, made, <laughs> I made wonderful community videos. <laughs> no, but but that, that's the thing. is, like they got they, that cost like completely through there. Because server costs are, while well, they've gotten cheaper because of the cloud, they're fucking crazy expensive now.
1: I don't even, what game can you buy a server for now? Anyways, none,
2: because yeah, they that all hosting model tested.
0: has gone out the window. It <clears> why, doesn't why do is that.
2: Why it was that hard, happen? like difficulty. Right. So you think about like half-life setting up a server. I, I mean, I had to set the in the past, right. They're not easy to set up. Um, and then the fact that like matchmaking didn't exist back then, right? you actually had to like seek shit out. So again, this, this ties to what I was talking about before of, of when you optimize that funnel, right? You want to get new users to become very active and then you want those active users to spend money. If you can reduce that friction, that learning curve overall, as much as possible, you're going to have more success in actually making money off of those people. So in a way, like it did improve the user experience for new players. But it also ended up making a lot of these companies more money by creating things like matchmaking. Do you think that
1: matchmaking is kind of a result of monetization? I guess that's kind of what you just said. But I mean, in terms of... <clears throat> so, like, just Quake Champions, as an example, they come out with their Battle Pass, which means they're constantly pushing out new content and updates. And so if they're in control of all of the servers, it's a lot easier to make sure they're all up to date than to have a bunch of different people paying for individual servers update like TLC was an update every three months
2: like my impression was that was it even that well i mean you're also talking about there's also continuous delivery cycles those are two also very different things that are not monetization related but they um the, 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 I, I think what you what you said is correct. Like they're not exactly the result of each other, but they are related because matchmaking got more people to play the games to become active. Yes. More people to it, play it, the games. It made
0: it possible running. to appeal to a broader base than exactly. a bunch of nerds like who it. were willing to set up servers in their basements like we did.
2: Again, and look at look at look like, again, the Goldeneye versus GTA example. Great example. Now GTA Online has its quirks too, but like um Goldeneye to go play with your friends, it only sold eight million copies. To go play with your friends, you had to fucking go over there, make sure they had a controller, make sure your stupid friend wasn't looking at your screen, punch (laughs) him in the face if he did. Like, it was like this whole... No odd job. Right, exactly. (laughs) It was a whole thing. When we played TFC, we had to, like, you know, find the servers. We actually were the, you know, the hyper nerds that would actually, like, compete, right? And actually, like, enter into leagues and shit like that. But then you look at GTA, like, you could just download the game and just hop online if you wanted to. Yeah, it's all there There's no friction. Yes. Yeah, you don't even have to. There's
1: no. You don't even have to have an objective. You just go into a sandbox and smash into people, and that can be the game. Exactly.
2: And and the thing with online nowadays, and this is sort of a shift, I think, in consumer perception. Um, but and again, I'm, I'm I'm purposefully trying to leave EA out of this and and uh, some of the other produ- developers that I can't can't think about right now because EA is like a very bad example of how to do monetization incorrectly. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, FIFA. <laughs> the, the thing that, that a lot of these these online games are trying to do is that like they they will keep creating new content to keep people coming back because when they create more content they make more money and so and, and gta is a great testimonial to that the fact they made half a billion dollars in like five years of just releasing new missions and shit like that and like stupid ass like flying vehicles and so in a way like it does reward those active users with additional stuff to keep coming back and then because they're coming back they're transacting more uh
1: greg since you have experience with destiny 2 what was the monetization in that game
0: my impression is it was kind of all over the place um they they sell they sell you seasonal content either either literally seasons was what they call them or expansions um they have an in-game store where you can buy cosmetics and convenience, essentially. Um, I, that- I
1: ask because, from what I remember, Destiny 1, I think, was the most expensive video game ever made. I think it was like $500 million really, wow. to develop. I, I thought GTA we'll 5 probably need, to, probably need to look this up. I might be wrong. But I, I feel like I remember reading this. But it was an absolutely huge creation and it recouped all that money, like, immediately.
2: No, you're right. It actually was. I'm looking it up now. It was $500 million to make it. Damn. (laughs) There's actually actually a Wikipedia article about this, about the total cost of games, like, what it costs to make games.
1: From what I remember of Destiny 2, I didn't see a whole lot of options to spend my real-life money. I never played Destiny 1, so I don't know if that's the same thing, but... They to develop a five hundred million dollar game, you got to be
2: real fucking
1: sure that you're going to be making that money back
2: quick. So you know what? Actually, that number is misleading and incorrect. Sorry, I, I just found another article. Five hundred million is the the amount of money that they've spent overall on the game. Uh, in, in the terms years. of investment over the years. The initial development cost it's actually ranked number one, two, three, four, five, six. So it's the initial cost uh, with twenty for twenty twenty with inflation is one hundred fifty one million. The most expensive game, um, which is a game I loved and we mentioned on the very first version of the podcast, is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 in 2009, <laughs> which, adjusted for inflation, is $298 million in 2020. Uh, Grand Theft Auto V is 291. Ooh, this is a tragic chart. Dude, it's... Yeah, I'm, looking Look at at, I'm sure three you're looking for Star Citizen, SwoTor.
0: I cannot believe SwoTor cost that much to make and was as good
2: as it was. <laughs> and look th- and so this this kind of like brings up the point that i was one of the things that i find fascinating on this list it, it it goes to the point that that games are becoming more expensive the uh, m- the majority of these games are within the last like roughly decade right you look at the ones on this list that are older that were not in this you have final fantasy 7 you have shenmue and you have et what the fuck et for atari never played that game mm-hmm. um but like most of these things are are new and when adjusted for inflation is it's just more expensive now. Like it's it, the expectation is so high that they need to find ways to actually make their money back. Right,
0: and that's a got to be just a knock on result of the fact that the the audience for this kind of product has gotten so much bigger in the last twenty exactly. years. Exactly. So there's room for these mega games to exist that wasn't there before.
2: Um, I also found it interesting that Half-Life Two is on this list. I would not have expected that.
0: So what do you think, Matt? When Jim Sterling says that AAA games don't need microtransactions to be successful.
2: Ah, that's a funny thing. So here's here's the the, the point.
1: <laughs> I like I, the way you said that. What you meant when you said that's a funny thing is that's fucking stupid.
2: So there, there's sort of like really three models that you can apply to how you make money, right? It's not just microtrans- You You can actually get away without doing microtransactions and still make money. But really, you have like three sort of ways to make money. The first, which we've talked about a lot, is microtransactions, right? You you add sort of things into the game to actually make additional money and keep people coming back. And that's for online specifically. Um, I think the single-player equivalent of that would be DLC, where it's like they're releasing new content to get you to make more money off of it. Horse armor, time. baby. Exactly, exactly. Or like, you know, look at Zelda. It had two two DLC packs that you could get off of that, and they're effectively rehashing a lot of the hard work. Um the second piece, and this is something that, like, so Nintendo surprisingly doesn't have a lot of information on, like, their actual costs, their production costs, as well as, like, how much they make. I don't know why, but they, I couldn't find shit online, maybe because they're a Japanese company, but I, I don't know what it is. But I'm just kind of hypothesizing about what they do, but one of the things that, that you can do is just really reduce your costs on those four things that I mentioned. Um, one of the interesting things about Nintendo and, and why I think... The main reason they're really successful in a lot of ways, besides nostalgia, let's put that one aside, but um, is they do two things that are different from a lot of different companies out there. So the first thing that they do is that actually their entire staff at Nintendo is on payroll, Um, whereas EA, Activision, all of the other sort of big houses, big game producers, they typically contract people on and then fire them when the game's done. So it's sort of a like on demand type thing this is really interesting because it's like they're actually investing in the person and that is that's a whole like organizational strategy there but that that's not to go off done too much of a tangent there but like they're investing in the people and you have these people with a lot of like legacy knowledge and experience of how that company operates and the franchises that they make That sounds the positive. other thing that's really it no it's a, it's a good thing for the company but what's interesting about Nintendo and this is actually some of the shit that they get often for the games that they're making is that they actually don't really with a few exceptions they tend to be more gameplay focused while reducing the budget for the story so and and i'll give you an example of this um zelda uh breath of the wild a game that all of us have loved was it, the the whole like zelda storyline has been rehashed so many fucking right they're not like really investing in like revamping that story at all like it's we all know what is going on with this you know you need to rescue a fucking princess you need to fight again and etc and they tweak different areas of that look at that story compared to like red dead 2 where you have like this completely huge, like symphony created with like a million different voice actors and like all this stuff, and so they don't actually really invest that much into the story and development of their games. They're often very very simple, um, and they're using these old franchises, so they're not creating new characters, which is also really expensive, right? And so what they do is they tend to build their platform. So in in the case of the Switch, like they design around that platform, and then they build the gameplay to support the mechanic of that platform. Right. So you look at the the like sort Wiimotes. of portability and the in the remotes, yeah, or the Wiimotes, That's a great example, or um, the fact that like you know the 3D nature and the joystick elements of N64, right? So so they sort of like they really focus heavily on the gameplay side of things. If you're and a that's little bit more like really... toys compared exactly. to the other big ex- the other big consoles. Well,
1: an argument. Yeah. Don't let me cut you off if you're about to make your point. So are you?
2: But, that was basically my point. I mean, but oh, but okay. there's downsides to that too, right? So because and this is probably what you're going to say, so I'll let you go.
1: OK, so, yeah, I know that uh, part of the reason Nintendo doesn't ever focus on story is um, I can never pronounce his name. The guy who created Mario and Link and all of these characters doesn't really agree with the idea of games as film. He Miyamoto? thinks games are games Yeah, Miyamoto. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> so Nintendo always focuses on gameplay first, and it's what makes all of their games incredible.
2: But and this, and this is the thing is that this is also one of the things that also gets on a lot of criticism is that they tend to often get criticized for having weak stories, which is very true. Um, minor exceptions, of course. And then also, they've kind of been shitty and still are shitty about how they handle like online, right? Because they're so yeah. focused on that core local experience. And they really do that really, really well. But like they they don't break out of that comfort zone. And I, I think, in my opinion, it's actually, potentially could be a bad long-term play for them because of the fact that like online is becoming so much more popular now. I think they did a a good job with few exceptions of that. Like, you know, Splatoon two is, is a great example of that or the Splatoon series in general, um, where they really did nail online. Um, but the online experience is fucking horrible, uh, in terms of like how you, if you want to play with your friends, like it's, it's abysmal. So. Right. People are
0: predicting the demise of Nintendo for occupying that niche for I feel like as long as I've been playing video games. Well, and like... their
2: user base is so much older.
1: As soon as they removed themselves from the rush to be the best looking games, I think they kind of just freed themselves up from the comp- competition of Xbox and Sony. And they just do their own thing now.
2: And it Makes it you works. wonder
0: what will happen once Miyamoto's not in the picture anymore.
2: Yeah. Or, I mean, what will happen when, like, it gets super old. Well, that's,
1: Nintendo's lucky in the sense that they have such a huge backlog that all they have to do is finally come out, which they're kind of doing. That's what uh, it is now, the Netflix for games. Just put all your games online where you pay one annual fee to play them all. That's where they're headed. They're just doing it incredibly slowly.
2: That's going to be an interesting one. So, like, I have... <sighs> The reason why Netflix for games works is that like, or sorry, the reason why Netflix works, not Netflix for games, um, works is that they've, especially for like their, the stuff that they produce, they've been able to cut their costs so much by using, like, single location scouts that create a directory of locations so that they can pull from that database for the production of, like, their movies, right? Instead of sending out individual location scouts based on every story, you have the person that goes to that location once and indexes it accordingly. You often are building your stories around what people are watching versus, like, what taking a chance with that story, right? To translate that to, to games, like, that actually is going to become, I think, more difficult than we think. You would have to basically like really start to repurpose like specific game engines in order to do that so that you basically are picking the game engine for what type of game you're doing. You're going to have to like really start to recycle and rehash some characters um, so that the actual character design doesn't really take place. And so I'm not saying it's not possible, but I think honestly, if anybody's going to be successful at that Netflix for games type model, it's going to be Nintendo uh and huh. to go back cuz they already do, do that so <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like built into their model already so i didn't know that they were that they were comparison
0: it makes sense of... that they're data driven and that they would try to but i didn't know that they were using they were essentially designing their original properties around locations to shoot is that
2: what you're saying matt yes no no sorry that's that's only one capability so if you look at a typical movie so where they basically like let's say lord of the rings right um right when they made lord of the rings they wrote the script well they took the script from the but they wrote the script from the book and then when they got that script out you send out like all these different functions so you find your actors you find your your cinematographers you then send out like location scouts to go seek out the locations that will make the most sense for that part the way that netflix kind of like turned that model around is that they don't actually go and seek out the locations on an individual basis they actually have a whole database of locations that they can use because they have location scouts just gathering information of like what it would be good for. Um, and that's like one minor example. Um, they do this like all over the place. Right. So like if they have a certain, like, you know, uh, type of musical style that they're looking for, there's like an army of like contract, like, you know, sound designers that they can right. just pull from. It's very like database driven. So
0: they're doing it at scale. Instead exactly. of one-off, like the way a movie does. or
2: Exactly. Interesting. Which is like, th- that's what will make like that model of gaming work correctly. And that's what Nintendo kind of already does.
0: Right, right. So reusing engines, reusing assets, music. Yep. I mean, look at like Super Smash Brothers. It's literally every single other Nintendo character in a two-dimensional fighting game.
1: Yeah. Look at half of the Switch library. It's just ports of Wii U games. Yeah, and the Wii U games didn't do well, but they already developed them, and the graphical technology between the Wii U and the Switch is almost identical. So, I mean, it's a it's a brilliant move to just port these games and throw them out on Switch. And now
2: that everyone has a Switch, it's they're going to make way more money. Yeah, or or Madden, Madden is a great example too. They, you know, people are going to buy the new Madden. They already have a model that works. They basically do incremental improvements every single year um but overall the model is just there and i think there was a thing i I have to double check this but i feel like there was a thing where they tried to like add some sort of microtransactions to madden and people just fucking flipped completely and i think (laughs) they removed them because it it was like they were already effectively playing paying you're buying a a fucking
0: break yeah
1: the um the my biggest complaint about monetization is that the others pay to win games. I don't ever play any of those. So that doesn't really bother me that much, but um, this goes back to resident evil two earlier. So I paid $5 to unlock everything. It used to be, I could just look up a cheat code to do that, but cheat codes don't exist anymore because they've been replaced with DLC. Yeah. And that, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't like that, but part of me understands it because it's completely a choice. Like a Devil May Cry Five, you can you earn orbs by killing stuff. Orbs orbs are your currency. You earn orbs by killing demons, and it's not. Well, there is one thing for each person, but for the most part, it's not set up to be an impossible grind. They're they're very um whatever the word is for a lot of them. You get a lot of them. Yeah, but I. Th- you can go in and you can just, you can use actual money to purchase
2: orbs. Yeah. And that, and, that, and that's part of the actual, like that is that's effectively pay to win at that point. Right. You know, and right. there's different degrees of this, depending on the developer, like some developers um, dead cells is a great example of this, where for the PC version, they're very mod friendly. So you can actually install like mods that are effectively operate like cheat codes where you gather like five X, the amount of cells or something like that per monster killed. Um, and there's all these like sort of things like that that you can, you can do. Uh, but again, it varies by game
0: completely. You know, hearing you talk about that, that Taylor, mm-hmm. makes me reflect on what... Like, I spent a lot of money on games over the years. Obviously, I can spend more on them now than I used to. But I'm trying to think of what game I've been most happy to like put like, over $100 a year into consistently. And the game that floats up to the top of my mind is World of Warcraft. Original vanilla World of Warcraft. You're paying... 180 bucks a year no matter what you do and you get whatever is in the game while 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 you're paying that there's no variability in terms of what you pay in versus what you get out Um, the variability comes from how much time you spend in the game and how you choose to spend your time Um, and that's a very comforting feeling in terms of knowing what you're getting for your money
2: yeah it was interesting that that was there that that was the earliest form of you know, expensive games and how yeah. to monetize them, right? Yeah. So, and- yeah, you're, you know, that you're going to spend 15
1: bucks a month no matter what. There's not going to be the, oh shit, I need to catch up with the rest of the people. I'm going to have to shell out $50 to do that.
0: Right. Which, if you can monetize your game in, in a more advantageous way, I guess you can get more than $15 of value on average out of each person playing. But that's the way I felt really comfortable doing it. And I'm, I'm thinking about that, Taylor, because I'm hearing your aversion. To these kinds of tactics, and it's making me reflect on um, some of the more recent experiences I've had as well with with monetization in games. And this might be a separate topic for discussion, but one of the things that continues to bother me um, as I get you know 100 or 200 hours into one of these live services games, and then, you know Destiny is one of them, is you start to understand the way that the monetization model is informing the content that gets made for the game and yep. you play the content and you're like why is this so bad why is this so boring why is this so grindy and the answer to every question is money the answer to every question is the in-game store and that creates a really <laughs> a really negative feeling for me personally um the yeah, thing is was... though but
2: this is this is I, I think what that what that says to me is that like it's it's the reality of that is it will if you can create something that is valued enough that the user will continue to pay for it, you have effectively monetized your product. Right. And so that's really what you have to do. It's a business. Like people don't just like spend millions of dollars to create something out of the goodness of their heart. Like it, it's that's just how the world unfortunately doesn't work that way but if you can actually like get people to see the value in something then they're going to spend more money and that's why i think the games that tend to be the most in my opinion successful are the people that actually play the long game pun intended on that that wah, style wah, wah. of yeah on that style of monetization the people that are going to actually invest in the nintendo style where it's like they're investing in the core gameplay mechanics, right? And that's going to keep people coming back because they have this, like, expectation that it's going to be something that they can pick up easily and play. You have the people that, uh, the, the games like um, Dead Cells, where the developers are so hyperactive and listen to the community so much and they're consistently tweaking it and they're going to consistently release new DLC, which people are going to buy. And so, like... Those are the developers that are having the long game. And then they basically have such a high percentage of their users who are in that upper echelon of people that spend money um, versus the EA, you know, or the, the yeah, EA is like the biggest kind of um, culprit in a lot of this where they basically are playing the short game in a lot of ways and actually just trying to see how much they can make for their next quarter. Right. I it's... can
1: think of a story where um, I was monetized on Nintendo 64 with Taraka so cool. Dinosaur Hunter, how
2: Did was that game ever, monetized? I know I, no, I played so it, but I don't remember. If it's, I it's not.
1: But I'll tell you how I was monetized. So you know, I was a kid when that game came out. So I can I can't afford to go buy a fifty dollar game.
2: Dude, that game but was revolutionary too? By the way, that
1: game was fun as shit. So good. But the reason it was fun as shit was because of cheat codes. Because I would just rent that game and then plug in all the cheat codes and then just run through these worlds. And I, eventually I would find a guy. And they had a... The way the game worked, if you kept blowing a character up, they never disappeared. And they kept screaming every time you blew them up. And so you could put the game in slow-mo and blow them up and they go... you I remember...
2: The other thing I remember about the, the cheat codes for that game was that, if I remember correctly... It had some really like really weird shit on it. And and again, this is like this game came out twenty three years ago. So my memory is terrible and I've been drinking a bit. But like you basically would like sh- you could like shoot somebody and they'd explode into confetti, or there'd be like people with like birthday hats or something, if I remember correctly. They, had, like, they I- went nuts with the cheat codes. That was the yeah. thing that appealed to me. Especially was, because as
1: a kid, I had no idea how to possibly beat that game. It was hard as fuck. It was really hard. But uh so I never bought that. But I guarantee that I got my mom to rent that for me far more than fifty dollars worth of times. <laughs> Blockbuster and then, days, and then it was on Steam with their HD remaster thing, where I showed out another eight to eleven dollars for it. And I don't think I even played the game. I just bought it because of the nostalgia.
2: Good old Blockbuster. Good old. Do you know I worked at Blockbuster? Little known fact. That's a place. That's a job I would actually share that I we used to work at back in the day. No Did you make there? it?
1: Well, of course you didn't make it. It's were you there fault. when they went under? No,
2: I quit. So I, I left Blockbuster. I started in 2006 and I left in 2007. So right so at the end. It didn't last very long. No. I, it was less than a year.
0: Yeah. So yeah, Matt, you were um, you were the guy that came up with the whole ad campaign they had where they were taunting people to tweet when they left Netflix, right? Oh, so I wish.
2: You. Dude, actually, you know what's wild about them? So they they so I worked in their retail store, so I'm not one of the higher ups at all. I was like fucking 19 years old or something. And uh, one of the things, so I worked there at the time when Blockbuster Online came out, and they were competing with Netflix before Netflix had streaming, right? This is like when they only had the mail service. And, and Blockbuster actually really had a gold mine on their hands. If they actually took advantage of it, they'd probably still be here today. Where basically when you bought Blockbuster Online, it was the same exact price as Netflix was it was like 10 bucks a month and they sold uh they gave you uh three movies at a time just like netflix did and you can mail them back and get your next three movies the key difference that the blockbuster had was that you could take those three movies take them to any net uh any blockbuster store drop them off and then when they got scanned in you could trade those three movies for three rentals in store and then they would ship your next three immediately so you have this like instant gratification there that Netflix could never offer. And then, of course, streaming came out and blocked. oh, fucking nobody's going to do this streaming thing. And then look what happened. So but it was actually like a better service early on. Um, is Gamefly still around? Have I any of you used it. Gamefly? I, I remember it, but I doubt it.
1: Time to find out. Everyone type of keyboards, clack a clack a clack are going to Gamefly dot com here. Oh, is it's, it's, so. still it's, it's still there. there. It's still there. I haven't seen a commercial for it in a decade. People do people use it. I mean, I did
0: the thing is like, well, I guess
1: the answer to the streaming now would be something like Stadia, if which you don't or Stadia... need to
0: play games right when they come out. Almost every single game you can buy for the cost of a moderate rental within a year or two. There yeah. are some exceptions, right? Like No Man's Sky, which is $60 still, somehow. Um, but,
1: you know, that's something we didn't discuss either. is uh factoring in uh, steam sales i'm sure were a big change in the industry so did monetization did they just sell at a loss on their game hoping that they're going to make it back in monetization
2: i the think OCS i think they actually had different costs i honestly like steam sales are are they they charge about 30 percent? i think per game per download yeah for the yeah. infrastructure like if you think about the actual production of games for steam you had um they had to produce the actual physical unit, right? And that was a super expensive process back then, Uh, especially when you look at like cartridges. So, and before discs came to be like, I don't know what it cost, I'm sure it was a ton, right? So the cost just kind of like shifted and Steam was really smart because they were early in this digital distribution realm where it was like, they were like, oh yeah, you get to get rid of this physical, Sort of thing, and it sort of scales accordingly. You also didn't have to run that risk of like forecasting how many units you need to produce, um, to to actually meet the demand. The whole supply chain
0: is just gone now, exactly. Exactly.
2: I can't,
1: I don't know the last time I bought a PC game in a store, I think it had to be 2000. It might have been Half Life 2,
0: Borderlands 1.
2: 2009, you went all the way to 2009. Yep, apparently i i think mine goes way back to like dungeon siege to be honest dungeon siege 2 is like 2004 like i've been i've been a huge proponent in general of digital because i hate physical stuff so i haven't bought a physical game period since then even all of my console games are uh, oh i guess that's wrong xbox 360 there was that period where you had to buy the physical ones for a while so i would say it's probably like 2000, I think Little Big Planet 2. Little Big Little Big Planet 2 was probably the last one that I did.
1: My my rule with console games is always buy a physical copy because I will forget that I have it otherwise. But with a Steam list, I always see it there. But I think 2007, Bioshock showed up on the Steam store for 30 bucks, and that's when I that was my first digital game purchase. And then from that point on, I never bought another physical copy of a PC game.
2: Oh, see, I love having the digital ones because yeah, then I just right. have the whole library without any taken up. I hate well, physical my, stuff.
1: My The reason I don't want to do it with console, with PC, no matter what computer have I buy, I can just install the Steam client and there's all my games. With consoles, they're. I guess that's not true with Xbox anymore, but they're married no, to that f-
2: console. No, it's not. Not even with uh, Switch. It's not either. It's not? Nope. And yep. with PS4 as well. And with Xbox, I've even, like, downloaded shit that I bought off Xbox 360 back in, like, 2008 on my Xbox One. Well, so, if
1: I I downloaded Mario 64 on Wii U, I can get that on Switch?
2: No, the problem with that is that the Nintendo is sort of a... Nintendo and Sony are kind of, like, shitty at this um, because they don't have backwards compatibility.
1: Right. Well, so, I mean, I have all these... If I bought Tropical Freeze on Wii U, does that mean, and I bought it digitally, would that mean I own the Switch version as well?
2: I don't know the answer to that. Maybe I don't think that's how it works with them. Yeah, those companies don't thing. don't cross
0: platforms for most consoles. Yeah, yeah, except
2: except for Xbox, they're the only ones
1: that yeah. do.
0: Nah,
2: so I'm... if the
1: PlayStation Five is backwards compatible with everything, like the rumors suggest, I will buy the shit the out of that.
2: Fucking rumor was true. They said that on PS4 too, and look what happened. Well, it's already confirmed. <laughs> that, <laughs> they had it with PS3, and then they had it, and then they got rid of. Will we ever ass-
0: get the dream of a truly, in, like backwards compatible console? And I guess in order to do that effectively, you no, know, Xbox is only one. We have to build it,
2: well, to build it in such a way one. that
0: all of your future consoles will also maintain that compatibility. Otherwise, people get pissed off at buying the same games every five years, right?
2: Honestly, I think the only reason Xbox has had been able to do it is that effectively the xbox is just a freaking pc in a box right that's all it is and so that's like really the only reason why they're backwards compatible
0: yeah they've been Um, doing a lot of stuff to soften the boundaries between pc gaming and and the xbox specifically they've made a big pivot
2: yeah the fact that game pass is actually available on both console and pc
1: but the the fact that every xbox game comes to pc is why i've never owned an xbox Well, I guess that wasn't true about Halo, but now it is. Yeah, well, I kind of get the sense
0: that, I don't know, maybe I'm one of a dying breed where I'm just, I'm loyal. I'm a loyalist to the PC platform. Like, I don't actually want to have a console in my house. The Switch is the great exception to it. Um, But I I feel like, I feel like for me, it's just, it's just a a, a 100% value add. I wasn't going to get a console anyway.
1: Right. Well, there's, I mean, now that you can so easily put controllers on PC, I don't, see the big advantage of a console anyways besides exclusives which is really just Sony and and Nintendo. Nintendo games are never coming to PC. Right. Yeah.
0: Except via emulator.
1: Right. And then that but I had a an N64 emulator on a Raspberry Pi 3, which I would think that would be perfectly capable of handling those games, and it is not. So yeah.
0: Yeah, So But just kind of pulling this conversation back a little bit, um, we talked about a lot of different things that companies do to monetize games, and what's good, what's bad, what we like, what we don't like. Um, It's obviously a moving target, what good monetization looks like. And Matt, I'm wondering if you have any insights for the two of us yokels about where monetization might go. What's the as of yet unexplored frontier for games? (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's a really good question and i don't know if i fully know how to answer. um i think that what we were talking about earlier with the sort of netflix model um and reusing assets again nintendo does that really really well but they also own, own both the hardware and the software um so they're right. pretty unique in that for the most part i mean sony does that too less with their exclusives too but like it's not nearly as prevalent in nintendo so being able to cut costs in a really smart fashion, I think is a good way for, for that. Um, the other, uh, the the unfortunate thing that we're going to start to see in the future is that online components are still like becoming bigger and bigger, right? Online gaming is at like the most successful it's ever been. And it's still growing altogether. And so in order to keep online games afloat, you have server costs that are associated with that. And thus like, Things like either microtransactions and subscriptions will continue to exist, right? The other potential model that I've seen in very small subsets, but I think there has been some um, a bit of backlash when this happens, is in-game advertising. So you think about WoW is like one of the earliest versions of that, where you could order a Domino's pizza through WoW. Right. Um, like that was like, <laughs> that was like the OG. But then, you know, they've done some other things with that with like FIFA, for example, and actually selling the ad space inside of the arenas. Um, I think that's going to be one common sort of thing. But honestly, like the thing that I think they're going to eventually come back to, especially for online, is various subscription based like models. Um microtransactions are getting a ton of backlash especially because they've been so abused with pay to win and yeah. pay to win is just like a really bad way to do it and so i think that's just going to cause a ton of backlash in the industry as a whole against the sort of smart versions of microtransactions that are like cosmetic only or, and there's or regulatory
0: you know, concern the, there right
2: and there's regulatory concerns yeah because even in some countries like i think belgium made it illegal for loot boxes specifically so like That's you know something that will probably start to continue to emerge a bit more, and then also towing that line of like being able to incentivize things while still giving people those free things, while still letting everybody else sort of do that is going to be increasingly difficult. Yeah, Um, I, I, I have a sense that I think like honestly, some form of subscription. I don't know what it's going to be, but. Not necessarily a monthly cost, but something is going to come back, especially for the bigger online versions. And then, do you know any numbers for how profitable World of Warcraft was? I don't actually. I wonder if it's on Google. I know it costs 40, it costs the same amount as Half Life 2 to produce, but um, because $15 a month, that was the big turnoff to me $15
1: a month for one game. Seems incredibly steep. If it was something like three to five bucks a month, that would be a lot more appealing to someone like me.
0: And it's clearly, the cost they were of right, going to see a, a movie once a month, man. It was never that much yeah. money. Like, to change perspective I, that's for the... you, when I was playing WoW, the last time I played WoW Hardcore, which was around 2009, I was paying for my monthly sub by farming and selling gold to people inside the game who then would go around the stores, buy me a, a game card, and
2: send me the code.
0: And,
1: and it, it took fifteen me bucks a month. A weekend of, of the month was two movies,
2: at least. Holy shit! By twenty seventeen, sorry, by twenty seventeen, WoW has grossed over nine point two three billion dollars in revenue. Fuck goodness! Jesus! Well, look at all the price.
0: How big it's blown up to be? Fucking Blizzard is huge. All the yeah. stuff <clears throat> it's doing now came. I feel like it's all come from the success of WoW.
2: It's probably that Diablo two and Starcraft. Those are really the big big successes
0: diablo 2 or starcraft made anywhere near that much money
2: yeah wow was the big money maker starcraft was interesting because it was the big esports thing like that was really the first big esports play right yeah um yeah lesser diablo 2 but uh so taylor this is this brings an interesting point to you so like and and greg you made this too but like the way that i see games i think that the current cost of what a game like the actual value of buying that unit is too cheap right like the other the other option is that we increase the price of games right and i i think that's actually a better option than this sort of model of like microtransactions and and all these other things because games right now like if you if you actually adjust for inflation they were significantly more expensive in the 90s than they were than they are today um and so like they really just do need to increase it. And if you think about the actual amount of entertainment per hour that you get for the cost of a game versus a movie, it's so much like such a better value. Like the actual like entertainment per minute for a game is like significant. I mean, like look at Sekiro. How many hours do you have in Sekiro right now? I don't know. Probably at least twenty ish. Right. Or uh I'll use breath of the Wild.
0: Taylor, I ran I ran your numbers for TFC, fifty dollars for four thousand hours. It's like about a penny an hour.
1: Yeah, that's one it's, hell of a it's deal. What you paid. It.
0: And it's that's that uh, that's your threshold of required value.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Are you impossible
0: yeah. to please in the bedroom too?
2: <laughs> right. No, and and that's the thing I don't is think like, so. the the <laughs> I'm gonna pull my calculator out, but
1: like well, see, part I, of that, World of Warcraft does just not look like an entertaining game to me at all. So that's what makes the fifteen dollars a month even more absurd. Well that's to a me.
0: separate concern. If you don't like the game, then yeah. But if you would play the game, but the money is preventing you from doing it, that's, a, that's, that's where the monetization right. so conversation can occur. Right. So at 15
1: bucks a month, when I look at it, I just say, I don't even need to try this because mm-hmm. I don't want to spend 180 bucks annually on this. It looks terrible.
2: What was the last movie that you saw in the theater that you enjoyed? Oh,
1: God. What was the last movie I saw in a theater, period?
0: Frozen 2, right?
1: No. I can't even remember. It was months ago now. Uh,
2: it had to be Did you Star moving.
0: Wars Let's
1: say in game, probably in game.
2: okay, and in game costs you what? Fifteen bucks? To go see it?
1: Probably something like that, yeah, yeah,
2: two-hour movie. So you effectively got for for per hour of an entertainment, you paid seven dollars and fifty cents, right. Now, look at Breath of the Wild, which I think you clocked the same amount of hours that I clocked in about 160 hours for 60 bucks that you spent on that game. You spent 37 and a half cents per hour on that game yep of entertainment and so that that's like the difference right like i think games are completely underpriced right now and yeah i know i'm in the minority when i say that but like it, it, if we actually increase price the cost of games with both the cost of production as well as inflation microtransactions wouldn't exist like it's just not like that that's the fundamental issue is that they're not increasing with inflation and cost of production so i think the counter
0: argument to that is that movies provide a better experience than risking money on a game because one of the things That's, about uh, your, your so
1: different I, not better well, yeah it's different
0: well no a different another's different but also but also better more more reliable to be um, engaging and interesting for the average person like I'm, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here so Joe Schmo wants to play a game we've gone through Matt's round of monetization updates for the games industry and it costs $100 to to buy the next Zelda game let's just say Let's say you never played a Zelda game before and you don't know if you're going to like it. If you don't know you're going to like it, how likely are you going to be to spend $100 on
2: it? How did we combat that back in the day?
0: People just didn't play.
2: No. The the audience for gaming in 96 and
0: 97 was microscopic compared to what it is today
2: that that's true but but if you think about the in the 90s and early 2000s we had as taylor said rentals and then demo do you remember demo disks too yeah so like you could actually buy, buy games far? just to get demos of other games exactly and so that that's another way that you can like kind of curb that um that uh the the sort of risk with as the buyer to buy that game is that like you can just rent it or sorry uh, rent it or or try it on the, on the demo and uh just to the
1: in is not the best example of dollar to time value because that was something that had been building for 10 years. So I was excited as hell to see that movie. So in terms yeah. of entertainment value to dollar or to time spent, it doesn't equate the exact same way as two hours for $15 in my head. But I don't know what my point was with that. I just wanted to say that I enjoyed it very much and it was very good and worth it.
2: And it cost you seven dollars and fifty cents entertainment. It was not breath of the wild only, It only cost you thirty-seven and a half cents.
0: Yeah. It, what I'm hearing yeah, there is no, that
1: there's no argument for me that Breath of the Wild was worth every penny. I think usually once I hit, if I hit forty hours in a AAA mainstream game, then it's a massive success in my opinion.
0: So to get but the same the other... dollars per hour out of Breath of the Wild that you got of Endgame. I mean, I'm not putting that correctly, but the same dollar per hour number. You would have to spend twelve hundred dollars. Yep. On Breath of the Wild, that's clearly not worth it to you, right? No. But if you, see, that. if you could see, if you could see that many end game quality movies, that would be worth it to you. Uh, yes.
1: I don't. Let's so put it movies. in terms of twelve hundred dollars worth of movies. It's, it's yeah. difficult to think of it. That How many
0: way. years for you to watch eighty movies? Do you think? Oh God, forty.
1: Now in my life, quite a long time. <laughs>
0: yeah maybe it's not a fair comparison but yeah and it which also calls back to me an older discussion we've had about the 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 social credit and merit given to the video games compared to other forms of entertainment and art um what i'm hearing in you taylor is reflected back is a very popular attitude that games aren't an experience worth paying for compared to these other more traditional forms
1: no that's not what i'm saying at all
0: Well, that's what your attitude is reflecting.
1: When it comes to... The best other example I can think of that's not specifically video game is Discord, where I feel like the price of Nitro for $10 a month for a a chat app, in essence, is really steep, in my opinion. How many hours
0: a month do you think you spend getting entertainment out of this platform?
2: Exactly.
1: A lot, but... That's because I don't pay any money.
2: So, if you think about your whole life, and this is like real philosophy on how to spend money, period. But like, if you think about your whole life in terms of the cost per dollar of value that you've extracted out of it, or sorry, sorry, cost per per um, per hour for the dollar to, for the for the value that you've extracted, or cost per hour for the amount of time saved so that you can do something that gives you value. I think that's like a completely different way of how we think about our consumption culture in general right um i mean in in taylor's mindset i think i'm gonna grossly oversimplify this but like basically in your eyes big number bad small number good right and so <laughs> but like that that's the that's unfortunately like, it also like it's a monetization like psychological element where it's like pricing is actually and competitive pricing is a huge role in this thing right and so, if you can get someone in at a low cost and then have them microtransact later on, that's just another yeah. form of like making money off of
0: it. Yeah. Taylor, but, you are the, the target audience for free to play small money number microtransaction games.
2: Exactly.
1: Well, so if Discord required me to pay $10 a month the first time I ever used it, period, I would never be on here. I'm on it because it did not cost me
2: money. But so this is aha, interesting. You've just described what TFC and Half-Life used to do, where there's some people that are willing to pay for it. And those are the people that keep this thing alive. Yep. (laughs) Yeah.
0: On today's podcast, we've learned (laughs) that Matt (laughs) knows a lot about money and Taylor is a (laughs) freeloader. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was you know, I'm the one who actually put in most of the boosts on the server. That's not a brag. I don't give a shit, but Um, I was thinking to myself, well, I was thinking about how to invest in what we were doing in this community and also in this podcast. And I was looking at different audio platforms. You guys were involved in that. And I just figured, you know, it's going to cost me, I think it's going to cost me like 35 or 40 bucks a month to do the number of boosts I'm doing. And, um... I looked at the amount of entertainment I'm getting out of it, the ability that folks are going to get to stream, the likelihood that folks are going to start streaming, now the higher quality is there, and Taylor, you stream almost every single day. Yeah, um, fucking great letter. I'm going to
1: do the five, now that I see there's a $5 a month boost thing, I'm going to do that. I don't no, know if I'll do it forever, but I'll don't, contribute.
0: Don't compromise your principles for us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, no. I'm just calling I mean, out that. I know, like, I always make is, it sound the, like the, I'm the cheap dichotomy. as hell. Well, and goes, whether you are or not, it's use, it's useful for the conversation,
1: right? Well, I it's yeah, like what you're saying, thirty or forty bucks a month for something that you're you're basically trying to turn into something that's completely reasonable. That makes perfect sense,
2: right? And it goes like, back I, to the value that you extract out of it, right? Right. And honestly, like, and Greg, this brings up another point too. Like, and this is this is sort of I think why some of those those people early on would fund those those Half Life servers is that like those people got value out of creating their own community like that that was the effectively the dollar per like the value of the dollar to them was was extracting that value of community even if it wasn't purely hours spent right and and i think that like you're in a sense like you having taylor here as the loader does give you value absolutely Part thanks of the reason I did it to get, we ruin... get folks like Taylor <laughs> in, excited to be a part of this. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? It's 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 sort of like that, right? Like the fact that even, even producing what we're doing here right now costs money. Everything yep. about it does. And no, not right. me. And it's all it's worth free it for me. just to have you, Taylor. Man, you make it all worth
0: it. Oh,
1: thanks. Part. Well... <laughs>
0: Well, I think that that's probably a good point to put a pause to our conversation for the night, gents. It's clear that there's there's more for us to talk about here. And maybe we can find an opportunity to, to revisit it at a later time.
2: Yeah. Let's start working on a new monetization model. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's do it. Let's take the industry by storm. Uh, thanks all. Uh, I'll uh, briefly outro myself, and you guys can do your own little spiels. Um, most of y'all know me, I'm Greg, a.k.a. Deke, the host of this lovely podcast, and I pay for everything.
2: And I am Matthew, also known as Matt. <laughs> and I also Andrew Yang 2020. Oof.
1: Hello, my name is Taylor. I don't pay for shit. How's worth?
2: <laughs> how's worth? More like how's poor. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, my house is worth money because I, I put it all into that instead of World of Warcraft.
0: Well, this has been fun. Thanks, guys, and thanks, everyone, for listening.
2: We'll catch you next time.
0: Good night. Bye. Stream's
2: off. Should I have done the politics plug or should I have said Epstein didn't kill himself? <laughs> I, think, I think Epstein didn't kill himself is a little... A little...
0: I don't think
1: anyone listening to video game podcasts is going to be very Republican, anyways. So I wouldn't worry about that.